I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, Bill Apter spent most of his career covering pro wrestling for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It was the biggest pro wrestling magazine, the Bible of pro wrestling in the 70s and 80s, early 90s, before there was an internet, before there was websites, before there was dirt sheets, there was Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Bill uh, photographed so many legendary moments in the ring. He knows everybody. He imitates everybody. He's finally written a book about all of his experiences in the pro wrestling business. The book is called, get this, Is Pro Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. That's Bill's uh, thing. Is Pro Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. Bill's uh, uh, motto, which he'll be saying over and over again. Bill is here with us this week on Talk is Jericho to give us a sneak peek of his book. You'll hear why he had to sneak into WrestleMania 1, what role he played in Hulk Hogan getting the part of Thunderlips in Rocky 3, how Bill got Andy Kaufman started in pro wrestling, which wrestler inadvertently broke three of Bill's ribs in the ring, and what finally mended his relationship with Macho Man Randy Savage. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here, and let's go for a ride with Bill Apter. He's got his brand new book coming out. Is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it was broken, and Bill will lovingly tell you all about how he came up with that title. You'll be able to get it on Amazon October 13th. Like I said, he's coming up and sharing some great stories with us today. Uh, such a funny guy. I've known him for years. Very wacky, very uh, very goofy, very eccentric. Perfect candidate for being in the wrestling business for 35 years or 40 years. Lots of great stories to tell, and the book is great, and the show is great. So, And speaking of great, I went and saw ACDC. Uh, Monday night in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium. And, man, I'm telling you what, I've seen a lot of great bands this year. I went to the Stones. Uh, I saw Rush. I listened to Van Halen from the uh, outside. 
as you guys know. So many other bands that I've seen, but I'll tell you, The Who was great. But ACDC takes the cake. Definitely the best rock and roll band in the world. Now, The Stones might be the greatest rock and roll band because they've been doing it for a long time. And don't get me wrong, The Stones were amazing. But ACDC, you cannot compete with ACDC because not only are they such a machine, uh, meticulous in, in, in their in their uh, in in the way that they play and in the way that they, they they run the show, but you know, there's so many ACDC gimmicks for the production part of it from the cannons and for those about to rock the bell and hell's bells whole lot of rosie the giant uh the biggest fattest lady in the world as bon scott used to say of course angus young with the school outfit on his solo uh just going nuts i mean so many great moments in that show so many great songs in that show and I, I, it was funny because I went to uh, Dodger Stadium. Jack Slade, who has uh, done drum teching for Fozzie for years, good friend of mine. His dad is Chris Slade, Talk is Jericho alumni. The last Chris, uh, Chris Slade show did over a million downloads. Unbelievable. And, uh, and by the way, congratulations to all of you for helping Talk is Jericho get over 100 million downloads. We're over actually 103 million right now. Thanks to you guys for listening to all the shows and whether you like the wrestling ones, the music ones, the paranormal ones, the, the acting ones, the all in between, continue to listen. I've got some unbelievable guests coming up. i got a lot of big plans for this show. So anyways, Chris Slade did the show. That was before he got back in ACDC. He's now in ACDC again after Phil Rudd uh, was ejected from the band for legal issues of course Malcolm Young can't play guitar anymore so now Steve Young's in the band so Angus had to reassemble ACDC with two new members in a band that's known for being so machine like and being such an engine and being so uh, precise in, the, in everything they do so it was huge to see them back and to see two, two fifths of the band replaced but man did they ever play well they sounded great Brian Johnson sounded great they played in Dodger Stadium and that place was packed, probably 60,000 people. And I noticed right away, probably half of those people had the flashing uh, devil horns that they sell, you know, the, the Angus Young devil horns. So those are 15 bucks a pop, 30,000 of them sold. That's 450 grand right there, right off the top to put that in your back pocket. And that's not even including the merch of the shirts and, and how much, you know, people paying for tickets and all that other stuff. So right off the bat, that's like 450, 500 grand. Uh, watched the show with a lot of different people. Brian Slagle from Metal Blade came down there and watched. Jim Brewer, uh, super hilarious. Both those guys are going to be guests upcoming on the podcast. I got a chance to see my friend or Solo Cup Jeff from Winnipeg, Manitoba. He came, uh, of course, went with Jack. Uh, Marty Rubacabla, Marty Elias, you might know him as the old referee from WWE. And now he's with Lucha Underground, we had a blast. Uh, watched the show with M Shadows, uh, good buddy Shadows, man. We had such a great time. We watched from about the 20th row back, had a couple cocktails, and just went nuts and just enjoyed enjoyed the whole damn thing. Then when Angus did his Let There Be Rock solo, which I still love the fact that the band plays, for like 10 minutes, I ran right up to the front. And as I'm walking to the front, there's a guy, uh, I'm kind of cutting through one of the uh, lines of chairs to go stand right at the railing so I can look up at the, at the, uh, Rampway where Angus is playing, and there's a guy. I'm saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and he's like, won't move, and he's like, you can't be moving, and I'm like, dude, I'm just passing by, I'm not bothering you, I'm gonna keep going because you can't walk this way, and he's wearing an Angus Young schoolboy uniform, and he's kind of getting in my grill, he's getting in my face, and I'm like, dude, you're wearing the wrong outfit to try and be intimidating, <laughs> you can't be intimidating. 
wearing an Angus Young school costume. So get the hell out of my way and let me move on. And he did. And I, I went moving on. And I stood right by the rampway. Took some wicked pictures watching Angus go nuts playing the solo. Uh, all the bombs and fireworks at the end. I mean, it was just crazy. Such a great show. If you get a chance to see ACDC, because it was the last show of their North American tour, the first leg, Heard through the great, heard it through the grapevine that they are uh, coming back in February. So if you haven't seen them, or if you haven't seen them in a while, you need to check out this band because it's the epitome of rock and roll. You know, it was so great, and I got to ride to the gig with Chris Slade and Jack, and uh, we had the kind of an SUV. And they were complaining because there was no uh, police escort. I guess every other city they played in, they got police escorts except for London and Los Angeles. We did get a police uh, escort for the last couple blocks to Dodger Stadium. Pulled in there like a boss, got out of the car, and promptly uh, had no backstage pass, so they were trying to kick me out. But I weaseled my way in, but I'm Chris Jericho. Hello. And I uh, got a chance to meet Cliff Williams, the bass player, who's just a super nice guy. Kind of freaked out meeting Cliff. Because he's the one holdout besides Angus from the old days, from Bon Scott, you know, and I, I kind of, it's weird because when I meet guys now, I don't want to be super over the top, like, hey, can I have your, have your, you have your email? I've got this podcast, but... You know, I, I couldn't bring myself to say it because I just met the guy and he's super nice. So, hey, you got an email address so I can, you know, you got to you got to tread lightly in those situations. So hopefully I'll run into Cliff again and he'd be a great guest on the show. Love to have him on Talk is Jericho. Love to have Chris back as well. But I think uh, the ACDC camp is very tight lipped when it comes to press, but I'll get him back. Hopefully got to meet Brian Johnson for the first time. And once again, super nice guy, a lot shorter than I thought. You know, I thought you'd be a lot bigger. How many times have I heard that? But, um, you know, he's. Like, and I, he's he's super nice, and I was like, Brian, you sound great. He's like, Oh, my voice is a little rough, but I'll do my best, me son. He's calling me. Every calls everyone, me son. It's nice to meet you, me son. And uh, and then Brewer and I were doing uh, Lars Ulrich versus Rob Halford. He does a great Rob Halford imitation. I do a great Lars, at least I think I do. And so we were kind of bargaining back and forth. But he does a great Lars as well. So it was Lars versus Lars. <laughs> Kind of like a spy versus spy thing, which we'll have to uh, we'll have to do on the podcast upcoming. Got to meet Stevie Young, nice guy, but um, just a, a really really cool vibe backstage. Can't meet Angus; he's very secluded. I guess he doesn't come out and talk very often. But what a show! And to see sixty thousand people there, one of the last bands that can play uh, in a stadium and draw such a huge huge crowd and. Just a great night, so much fun, and and, and uh, actually, uh, someone asked me how many times have you seen ACDC. That was my sixth time. The first time I saw them was in 1986, I believe, on the Who Made Who tour. The opening band was Queensrÿche, which is kind of a weird mix. I remember I bought a tour program where Cliff Williams, his bass, instead of having frets like the little fret dots, they were uh, a cock and balls. Yeah, his bass had it had a cock and balls for frets. It was a dink bass. And my friend Dave Fellows always got so mad. He doesn't have a dink bass. He doesn't have a dink bass. I'm like, I'm telling you, he's got a dink bass. He doesn't have a dink bass. So I had to drag out the uh, the program and show him. Yes, he's got a dink bass, and here it is. So Cliff Williams ever comes on Talk as Jericho, I'm definitely going to ask him about the dink bass. I forgot to ask him last night, but ugh, stupid me. Then I saw them again on the Razor's Edge tour in 91 in Calgary. And the Ball Breaker Tour in 96 in Calgary. I remember I went with Johnny Smith and wise cousin Chad. Johnny Smith, a wrestler back in those days, worked for All Japan Pro Wrestling. He was a Calgary kid. 
we went and saw them uh, together. Then I saw, I believe it was 2001 on the Stiff Upper Lip Tour. Then I saw them again on the Black Ice Tour. Those were both in Tampa. And then Los Angeles last night for the Rock or Bust Tour. So amazing show, super fun, great, great friends. Eddie Trunk was there too, ran into him briefly. But there were so many people there. Everyone was at the soundboard, and I ended up watching with Shadows kind of a little bit closer. And I also ran into, it's funny because there's a guy standing right in front of me who looked exactly like Gabriel Iglesias. And I was like, are you who I think you are? And it's like the dumbest fanboy question, but I had to make sure. He's going, yeah, it's me. And so uh, Gabriel is also another guy who's going to be in this show, Fluffy. I've been trying to get a hold of him for a while. I follow him on Instagram, uh, Fluffy. Uh, he's got a new show coming out on Fuse. But anyways, great time. My, my favorite songs were Let There Be Rock, High Voltage, Thunderstruck. Uh, what else did I like? Uh, Shoot to Thrill was amazing. So many great tunes, but I think probably Let There Be Rock and High Voltage were my two favorites because I love the Bond Scott ACDC. But, you know, you, like I said, Thunderstruck is super powerful as well. So great times uh, there at ACDC. You should definitely go see them and you should definitely stick around for Bill Apter today on Talk is Jericho. So many great stories uh, coming up. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Talk is Jericho. Here in Philadelphia, you know, we just kind of hooked up here, and uh, I watched your match tonight against Luke Harper, and uh, what impressed me was that you were non-mechanical. Usually so many guys that have been around, uh, f- been around a long time, you know what that, like Ric Flair, mm-hmm. certain matches that he always did this spot where he'd fall over on his face, etc., or uh, go over in the turnbuckle, and you kind of knew it was coming. Some of the things that you do, you know it's coming, but it doesn't look mechanical. Mm. Flares didn't either. We enjoyed it. But what I'm trying to say is that it looks like you got in there and you you were, it might have been a repetitious move from the past, but it was like for the first time watching. Well, and that, that means a lot hearing that because we're here with Bill Apter, who you've probably seen. I don't even want to fathom a guess as to how much uh, match you've seen. Tens of thousands for sure. Abe Lincoln versus George Hackenschmidt. Well, no, go ahead. <laughs> Hackenschmidt. You know, and it's funny too because over the years, I mean, I've known you for, for, for so many years. And I think to this day, people still call, you know, magazines, if there's such a thing, pro wrestling magazines, it was always referred to as the after mags. Do you know where that came from? Which would be Pro Wrestling Illustrated, etc. Where does that come from? That came from, and this used to irk me because I was part of a lot of really good teams, okay? Mm-hmm. Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer started calling them the Aftermags. And I remember calling him regularly and saying, this is really ticking off a lot of the people in the office here. I'm, he says, you're the guy out there. You're, you're, the promoters put you on TV. You promote the, the magazine. You give out the awards. Everybody knows you. So the after Magazines, in the last few years, to kind of take the focus off of that, uh, the magazines have called them the Weston magazines, but they don't. Because Weston was the original publisher exactly. of the magazine, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and the, and the funny thing is because, I mean, 
when I grew up in, in Winnipeg, up in Canada, we never got to see, for example, NWA or even WCW. The only thing, or, you know, Texas wrestling or anything. The only thing I saw was AWA, which turned into WWF, and then, of course, Stampede Wrestling. But I would know all of the players because of your magazines. Yeah. I subs- so you said your magazines. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what I mean. Saying. It's the, 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 the build the after mags. <laughs> I subscribed to uh, what was the one where it was a, it was like superstars of wrestling where it would have the wrestling fantasy superstars. matches. Yeah, wrestling superstars. It'd be like, you know, Steamboat versus, you know, Sting, who would win? It and would you had always like- be somebody usually from WWF yes. versus somebody in the National Wrestling. Right, right. So yeah. you would read the ratings. And look at all of these ratings, and every month, you know, you see who's like, I've never seen, for example, an Al Perez match in my life, or a Pez Watley match, or... I have to stop you for a second, because you just brought up a name. I I had no idea what happened to Al Perez, and I went to Dusty Rhodes' funeral in Tampa a Mm -hmm. while back, and this guy taps me on the back, and he's got kind of grayish hair and stuff. And I looked at him, and it looked like it. Maybe it was an older Roman Reigns, and it was <laughs> Al it Perez, was Al right. Perez. Yeah, and he's living in Tampa, and he looks great. He looks phenomenal. But you brought that up. I'm the guy who did. I can actually say that I'm the guy who did the rankings, and it, in uh, in the new book that I have right. uh, is wrestling fixed. I didn't know it was broken. Um, <laughs> That's the title of the book, by the yeah, way. Is yeah. wrestling fixed? And I'll tell you in a minute broken. where that came from. Of but course, let's talk about the rankings. Because I, I, I want to talk because I'm curious about it as as a fan yeah. now into the business. So you so you would create these rankings? No, no, I never created them. Here's what I did: on Mondays or whenever we had deadlines, I would start going through my Rolodex and I called every office. The first office I would call every promoter's office. Every promoter's office, and sometimes if they weren't in, called some of the wrestlers. But for example, Monday mornings, if I didn't call Jim Crockett, he called me, and we went over the top ten and we discussed. Well, what would he tell business. you? Like these are the guys that are getting a push, or I'd say, what What do you got coming up in the next few weeks or few months to make sense with the magazine that has a lead time that doesn't come out in three months? And sometimes he wasn't sure. But he'd say, Bill, currently this is what we got going on. Why don't you make Dusty number one challenger to Ric Flair? And little by little. And then so we did it that way. Then I'd call Vern Gagne, who always made like he didn't know what I was talking about. And he'd put me on with uh, Wally Carbo or Greg or somebody. Vern never wanted to be responsible for anything. Then I'd call. Because this is a different world then. Yes. You, you were probably the enemy because you were writing about the business. Exactly. Exposing, but, you know. Yeah, well, no, we never did really any exposing. Yeah, you guys no. always did it as a kayfabe. We covered wrestling like Sports Illustrated would cover any sport. Mm-hmm. That was the mentality back there. Uh, from there, I would call uh, Jim Ross, who would spend an hour and a half going over every. <laughs> I'm sure. I loved it, but it was too. People would say, get off the phone already. I get can't. Off. Yeah, and then I'd call Gary Hart, who I, who I loved. Gary Hart would go, my man, I talked to Fritz, and Fritz says, this is what you should do. Kerry should be number one. Kevin should, and he'd give me the whole thing. Once in a while, I'd call Stu Hart, and I always had to listen to, well, I uh, am, uh, uh, um, you're on Long Island, right? I uh, lived on Long and he'd go on forever. <laughs> uh, and then I'd call Don Owen in Portland, and uh, Don Owen, right away, would put me on with this on. What do you want? Who are you? What do you want? So, and all my secret contacts that are no longer secret um, are in the book as well. well. One side story that's funny is that, you know, I think as, as wrestlers do, I mean, Stu told me the biggest marks in wrestling Stu are the boys. Stu, Stu Hart. Yeah. Stu, no, Stu Hart. 
Oh, I yeah, thought you had Stu. Stu, Stu Hart told me uh, there's only one Stu on my side, which is hard. I got it. He said uh, the biggest marks in the business are the boys themselves. Yeah. Sure. So you know you would check those ratings and see where you stood. I mean, I think in my early years, I the magazine was still out, and you would look for yourself. I think in WCW, even you could still find the ratings yeah. and the rankings. We were here in Philly a year ago, two years ago, who knows how long ago, and Flair and Brett were having some dinner, and you were there, and they were talking about the rankings, and ribbing on the square, which means they're joking, but they're not really joking about, yeah, remember in 91 when you said that Flair was above me in the rankings? What a joke that was. They remembered it. They remembered it, and they were still had a little bit of heat about it, like, you know, it's freaking after putting you ahead of me. That was bullshit. Well, no, it wasn't, and I was laughing. That was true, right? This is why... this is why Brett talks like this. Is because he's got a sore throat from complaining about. The, no, that's not true. How about where he was in the rankings? I love him. Uh, right now, also people used to uh, bitch at me, uh, and I never wrote the PWI 500 ever. Oh ever. yeah, I never. But the two most important parts numbers were number one and number 500. Okay, <laughs> and we used to go in to a conference room and rate the top 100 or 200 and after that it pretty much became everybody was on the same level but i would get a guy would saying how could you put tatsumi kushinami pasabodo <laughs> above me when you've right. seen me wrestle you know this type of thing people very sad i had guys back in i loved as a personality ivan putsky he was great he was mm-hmm. really a polish power bill and he'd come over to me sometimes and he was one of the Best complainers, you know, Bill Vince saw Vince Senior, Vince saw that you put Mighty Igor and the NWA above me, and you know that's my get him and there's so many other guys that I was friendly with, and they didn't know how to ask me to put them up higher, but they lived and died by those ratings. By the ratings, yeah. The shock to me of all time, though, was all the years that we put Harley Race over as big as he was in the business. And then when he came to WWE or WWF back then, that was all erased by them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because back in those days when you came to the WWE from another company, you didn't exist. No, you were like brand Dusty new. Rhodes, yeah. Flair, yeah. Harley, all those guys yeah. were, were nothing if you didn't. And it's still to this day. I mean, unless you perform within the WWE arena, Vince doesn't really know or doesn't really care what you've done That's before. You know? Let me ask you a question here. Okay? Please. What, where were you? In the 500, what was your highest rank? I think one year, and, and this is a quick segue, the PWA Top 500 issue and then the awards issues were must-haves. Yes. Even as far as, like, even if I go in a drugstore at Christmas time and I see the awards issue, I'll still buy it. But the Top 500, I believe, I'm not going to quote this, and somebody I'm sure will hit me up on the Twitter and tell me, but I know I was number eight. And I might have even made it to number four or five one year, but I was never I was never number one. But I was pretty pretty close top top ten four or five years. But I think maybe even top five one year. Okay. So there is a chapter in the book, by the way, about people who I loved to pose in the portable studio uh-huh. back in those days, and I could call them the posers. And there are a lot of guys who didn't want to pose at all. Ric Flair always used to say to me, "Sir, I'll be right out," because you know he always wore a suit coming in, and then he'd never come out. Right. You know, get it in the ring. Uh, Ricky Steamboat was a pleasure. And you were too, you were you and Steamboat were just. Well, I think that you know, um, 
I was smart enough to know that publicity is publicity, and the more pictures you take, the more chance there is of, of getting you know, one used. The money used. I paid you for well, that also thousands. helped. It's, yes. it's equal to the money I'm paying you to do this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> you know, to, uh, but, 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 you know, and I want to talk about, about the book, and we're going to talk to you, but one last thing about the, the magazines is that to get in a pro wrestling illustrated magazine, especially as a young guy, was a huge, huge deal. And I remember searching through the magazines for the first one or two years that I was in the business, or three years, yeah. just trying to find something, writing letters as somebody else. I think Clint Bobsky was my student. That was you? There's this hot young upstart in Calgary named Chris Jericho. You got to check him out. Pro wow. Send a photographer right now. Sign Clint Bobsky. And I would, you know, take it to my cousin's house across the cross town and mail it from there. Like anybody would ever find out where I lived, you know, but I just wanted to make sure how, I'm trying to get in pro wrestling. So to get in there, was a huge deal. Yeah. And then in 98, when I won, I think it was the most hated wrestler. Yes. You weren't there at the time. But I told Stu, you better send me a plaque. And he goes, we don't do plaques anymore. I said, you better send me one because I want one. And they did send me a plaque. That's so I got great. that on my You know, wall, it's but. funny because uh, um, with you, uh, there, were, there were so many people who, uh, who would bitch and moan about not being in the magazine. Mm -hmm. And they'd ask me, well, you don't post. You don't, right. you don't give me. And not only that, you'll also have guys that were on the, the, the bottom of the card, all right? And for years, they'd come over to me and say, you know, why, why don't you put me on the freaking cover of the magazine? You know, I'm worried. Mm -hmm. And I never had the guts or really the knowledge to say the right thing, which is the magazine is like the business. You put the people on the cover who are going to say, the publisher doesn't care right. about the business. He cares about selling magazines. Yes, Right. That's right. Whoever, yeah, who was who was the top seller of uh, of covers? Like you knew if you put this guy on the cover, you'd sell a lot of. One of the issues. big covers we ever had was when Tommy Rich turned heel, and we had a tight face shot that I took of him, and we put on the cover, and I proved this with him first, and put the fans can go to hell. That was one of the biggest sellers. <laughs> you were very big on the cover, Sting. Well, you know, another thing is, too, is the picture that I, when I was on the cover of, there was a couple times, but the first one was one that I took when you said posing probably six months earlier. Yeah. You yeah. never know when it's going to be used. Right. And that's why it's important to have Keep those bills on file. You, you know? uh, Dusty Rhodes was, was very big Huge uh, cover on seller. the cover. Yeah. yeah Sting. Hogan. Um, Remember the uh, classic uh, Michael Hayes holding oh, yeah, the whiskey the, and uh, Caravan Eric holding the thing holding of milk? milk. Yeah. That was, that's, everyone yeah. remembers that yeah. one. Yeah, but those, yeah. those were a lot of the, uh, the a lot of the hot sellers. Well, well, you've written about all these stories in your book, Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. And I'm surprised it's taking you. Do you want to know where that this, came from? Because I told you I'd get to please that. Please do. If you don't mind. Yeah, let me just finish. It surprises me that it's taking you this long to write a book with all the stories that you have. But where did you get the title? When I was uh, probably five or six years into the business, I remember this little kid. I remember we kayfabe was that I, you guys, thank God, m let me be part of the business. I was on the inside, mm -hmm. okay? I was one of the boys. Right. That was more important than anything I wrote or any photograph that I ever took was the fact that you guys made me one of you. Because okay? a smart worker and a smart promoter realized that you can promote us which makes us bigger stars sure. when we're in the magazine. So anybody that had half a brain would understand how important it is for you to be doing your job. Well, and there was no cable TV. Right, that's what I'm saying. There was no internet. So we I were knew who internet. Al Perez was because of you. Yeah, well, thank you. Right. Thank you. But we, the, we were the wrestling internet before there was wrestling internet. And um, so one, a fan in Georgia, a kid in Marietta, Georgia, and I still see him, he came over to me and said, Mr. Raptor, is wrestling fixed? 
And I thought to myself, I said, I don't break kayfabe because I'm one of the boys. So I said, I didn't know it was broken. And he said, well, that's right. You can't fix something that ain't broken. <laughs> and I kept that. So when I got the offer to do the book almost 10 years ago, wow. almost 10 years ago, uh, and I signed a contract with ECW Press, which stands for Entertainment, Culture, and Writing, not Extreme Championship Wrestling. <laughs> um, they said I have till September 2015, about a year and a half ago. So I had never written a book before. I had written columns and done stuff in the magazines. But a, a book is a totally, as you know, mm -hmm. is a totally different animal. So I kept procrastinating. And then they said, you know, you've got about a year to do this, Greg Oliver, who was the editor of it, said, when are you going to do this already? So I started. I told my wife, leave me alone. and no, I'm not even doing the garbage. And I sat down, and I started writing stories. And some of the stuff that I didn't remember that I did, thank God for Google. Mm. Because I found stuff from the early 70s that I did with Bruno Sammartino that I forgot. See, that's the difference, too. Like I can say from my third book, when, for example, I had that big program with Sean, I went back and looked up the timelines. Whereas the first book, I'm going completely from memory. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of it over time is eroded to where, well, is it true or is it not true? It's what I remember. But you can actually go back and find the exact stuff. Exactly. Now, I, I don't read a lot of wrestling books. And the reason being is most people in the business, when they write a book, are negative about their... their, mm -hmm. their they're not happy about what's going on now, and they're not making the money people are making now. Or they're, they're bitter. You read a lot of bitter. I didn't want to do an expose because that's not who I am in the business. It was always, hey, Bill's a good guy. You need something. Go talk to him. And I did not want to put out a book that would make anyone say, don't ever let him in here again. Mm -hmm. we don't, why did he do this? We, For 45, 48 years, we let this guy be friend. I mean, I became friends with yeah, most of a lot you. of the guys. Really, yeah, really. absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the whole thing. And um, so I started doing the stories, and I said there's two or three stories that have to be told that might be construed as negative, but these are not the stories about the magazines. These are stories about my personal journey in the business and about the way I was treated by a lot of people and about the way that things that I did at the magazines uh, helped and hurt some people's careers. There's a chapter in there about um, with Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, was furious for about an Andre Why the Giant that? story. What did you say? Well, we were talking about, we'd gotten a, a set of pictures. One, one of the great people uh, who was fabulous for publicizing himself, and I loved that, was Jerry Lawler. Mm. And we got a set of pictures, uh, Jerry Lawler against Andre the Giant, and photographer or somebody who sent the pictures. From uh, from the Memphis yeah, show? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Photographer or somebody, I asked, I said, who won? He said, oh, Lawler threw him over the ropes. So we sat around the headline meeting we had every Friday, and one of the guys said, Lawler's like a midget compared to Andre. So we put out story the night a midget defeated Andre the Giant. Well, Vince McMahon Sr., was promoting Andre as the only undefeated superstar ever. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And there was a story about... Um, well, give us just a, a basic thing, the, the basic premise. Vince is very angry at you and calling you and yelling at you type thing? Yes, extremely. And he was not a guy who generally yelled. So he's like, he's at, like his son, Vince, Vince Jr. 
Although you should never two call different him that. people. Two different well, people. But, but Vince VKM rarely yells. Right, not but a Vince, Vince Senior never yelled at me. I used to keep in touch with him fairly regularly. He never yelled at me until this, this story this time, yeah. happened. And uh, Lawler was called on the carpet at the uh, NWA convention that Vince and Lawler said it was Bill. I said it was Lawler. I, it's one thing, and I hadn't talked to Jerry Lawler after that for two years. Okay, then one night. I'm backstage. A piece was made with Vince Sr. He said, don't trust anybody, including me. That's what he said. Mm. So I'm backstage one night, and I, somebody taps me on the shoulder. It's Andy Kaufman from Taxi. So now this involves Jerry Lawler, and I hadn't talked to Jerry in almost two years. Andy Kaufman wants to break into pro wrestling. Vince Sr. doesn't want any part of it. Why did he not want any part of it? Well, first of all, the State Athletic Commission in New York would probably never let Kaufman because he wasn't a wrestler. Because he wasn't a wrestler. Gotcha. Right. You have to be licensed and pass the physical. Mm. And Vince Senior was into wrestling, not into showbiz. Okay, he didn't have the vision that uh, Junior Vince mm -hmm. Vincent Kennedy right. yeah. had back then to make this still what takes place in the ring, what takes place in the ring, but the window dressing around it was going to change completely. Vince Senior didn't want to change the window dressing. Okay. He was an old school promoter. Yeah, but if you really look at it now, what goes on in the business today, it's the same thing. But again, the window dressing is totally different. Mm. Okay? But what goes on in the ring is still the same. Sure, thing. it's still wrestling. It's still yeah. it, wrestling. Yeah. Depends yeah. on what. So I get to talking with Andy Kaufman. He said, where are you going after the matches? I said, home. He said, where do you live? He's starring in Taxi, a, a national TV show. I said, in Queens, New York. He said, how do you get home? I said, take the subway, the E train. He said, can I go with you? So I'm riding back home on the subway with Andy Kaufman. At the height of his popularity. Yeah. yeah. We go He's up to my apartment. I'm living with Susan Sexton, my roommate, who is the Australian ladies wrestling champion. Every other word out of her mouth was the F-bomb. <laughs> and she we open the door and she says, oh my God, it's F and Andy Kaufman. So we're talking there and for hours all he's talking about is Buddy Rogers. And so Frank he was Lassie. a huge, legit wrestling fanatic. Oh yeah. And uh, Suzanne, after a while, says, is that all you can talk about? Buddy Rogers she goes in the bedroom, turns on the Ramones and her head, and we never see her again. <laughs> so I said, listen, I know this guy, I haven't talked to him in a while, and Jerry Lawler. And he said, oh, I've seen him in the magazines. But Kaufman knew who I was. This is what I got the chills over Because of the after magazines. Yeah, yeah. He was. And uh, so it's 1 o'clock in the morning. And I said, I'm going to call Jerry Lawler. I kind of chatted with Jerry a few times during the two years of where we weren't talking because we were kind of blaming each other, but not really. And it's a great story, though, it really was. And uh, by the way, just to backtrack, we had to put out a magazine calling Andre the Giant Wrestling's only undefeated superstar. So that oh, that was kind of like your yeah, that fixed ipso facto right. apology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we call Lawler. Retraction. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we call Lawler now, and he says, you got Andy Kaufman, the star of Taxi, in your little roach-infested roast apartment in Queens. And I said, yeah, and I put him on the phone. So that's how... That's how it started. That's how it started, and there's a full chapter about that in the book. But, but this now involves Lawler, who I didn't talk to forever, and Vince Sr., who didn't want Andy Kaufman to wrestle. And I found out ages, ages, and ages later from one of the wrestlers that was sitting with Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon on an airplane. And he said, the one angle I wish I would have had was Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler. And he didn't even know 
that it was me that put the two of them oh. together. I was down at the Performance Center when the WWE opened the Performance Center. was invited down as press. And Paul, Triple H, knows everything about wrestling. And I just said to him and Stephanie, just out of curiosity, do you know you two know who put Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler together? And neither of them knew. And Stephanie said, it was you? <laughs> yeah. So that's in there. Then there was a, there's a chapter about Randy Savage almost wanted to kill me hmm. one time. And it was where he was wrestling Ric Flair at an arena in Philadelphia. And he was so upset at me, he stopped the match halfway through, stopped the match, came over to where I was standing with Nancy Benoit, who was fondling my hair while I was shooting pictures, and spit in my face. And you're ringside. I'm ringside. Really spit in my face just the same wad that Bret Hart did with Vince, wow. Vincent Kennedy. So, but, but Savage, and you don't have to get too much into it, but Savage was a pretty intense guy. He was very volatile. Um, tell, yeah, tell he, us a little bit about that. He, he was very sensitive. Um, uh, he and some of the other guys, like Scott Steiner, you never knew, and Scott Hall, you never knew what you got until they were never the same almost twice. You never know what you got until you were there and talking mm. with them. There, there were some nights, uh, this one period of time with, with Savage, that terrified me to the point where rumor was around the business. I'd seen Eric Bischoff at the Peace Festival in uh, yeah, was Los Angeles. I remember. Yeah. I met you there. And uh, Eric Bischoff said to me, by the way, Randy Savage wants to kill you. So this was a long-term thing. It was a very long, yeah. and, and uh, the title, very simply, is how an, oh, yeah, became a terrifying, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's the title of the chapter. And it's about a story that we wrote about him where he approved the headline, and then when it came out, he went crazy. Mm. He literally went, and his brother told me why. It hurts me because uh, the way things ended with him and we, we did, uh, Hulk Hogan is the guy who, I went to visit Hogan one time before we went to his house. He drove me to this little donkey gym and there was Savage sitting there and we talked and everything Did you get to smooth over. it out? Yeah. Before he passed yeah. over? Well, that's good. Yes. Then. Yeah. That's we good. really did. We really did. So how about... Um, and and like there said, was one time that Fritz von Erich wanted to kill me. What, what did you oh, do? Oh <laughs> my God. I didn't do... We had... Dan Shockett was real. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was a real guy. Everybody thinks after wrote all these people. I never wrote anybody. Dan? Oh, Dan Shockett. Dan Shockett, one, uh, one of the one columnists of the columnist, right, inside okay. wrestling. And Eddie Elner was also real. You can find Eddie Elner, our other <laughs> heel reporter, online if you go to Google. He owns a thing called Yoga Soup out in California. Oh, so people thought that you were just using all I was both. Names, I was, yes. All these guys. Like you and, were now, Dan Shockett magazine? died of cancer at okay. a very young age. Dan wrote a story comparing... David, Kerry, and Kevin Von Erich to the Three Stooges. Okay, fine. I figured Gary Hart would tell Fritz about this. Fritz is very old. Fritz, the dad, mm-hmm. was very old school. And if he gets it, fine. If he doesn't, I'm sorry. The magazine came out at the same time David Von Erich died. Oh, okay. Gary Hart calls me one day and says, My man, uh, Fritz wants to kill you. You're out of the family. Yeah, I was, I was, they called me the, the fourth Von Erich. I was so close with them. And uh, they were going to do the Parade of Champions where Kerry was wrestling Ric Flair Memorial Famous, for David Von Erich. Yeah, Texas Stadium. Yeah, and I was told by Gary Hart, don't show up. 
Fritz doesn't want you there. That hurt me for two reasons. Number one, I felt very close to the family. Number two, I don't like anybody not to like me. I've always been like that. If I found out a wrestler says, you know, after that, find, please find him. Let me talk to him, mm-hmm. please. Mm-hmm. It, and in my personal life, it's the same way, too. I don't like people not to like me. So then it, it was smoothed over. And then, of course, there's... Uh, so, for, for, for example, just let me say, if you're not allowed at Texas Stadium, for mm-hmm. example... Somebody else from Pro Wrestling Illustrated is still allowed to go shoot, just not you, or is, is the magazine banned? It was Bill was banned. They, did, they, they didn't want to entertain anything with anything I had anything to do so with. So Pro Wrestling Illustrated is not allowed to show up? They, he never said that. He just said, you better not show up. So there was no could... thought I was the magazine to them, period. The right. End. Craig Peters, one of our associate editors, went down there. With me, too, just in case I was killed, we'd have a second photographer. Of course. Well, because the show must go on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Bill Apter is here, and there was a time when Vince McMahon Jr., the Vince McMahon VKM, he actually banned you from WWE matches. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it wasn't me, no. It was, a, it, was a, uh, it was a company decision. It was a company decision by Vince McMahon to not allow the wrestling magazines any access and this is not in the book because this is stuff that went on strictly with the magazines. This may be a paragraph mm-hmm. on it. I don't want to be a spokesman for the magazine. No, I understand. But the point is, is that Vince would... We would were you, banned. You guys were banned. We were banned. Because uh, he went, had his own magazine? He had his own okay. magazine and we were competition. Right. He allegedly, allegedly, he didn't kill anyone. He allegedly went to the distributors and said, don't take these guys because... We're going to put them out of business. Oh, to the publisher? Or yeah, the, the, to, to the, the distributors. Oh, like distributing the yeah, mags to exactly. targets or whatever. These guys are no longer going to be, going to be allowed. Uh, Vince Sr. cornered me at an NWA convention. He said, what are you saying about my son? Because Ole Anderson had gotten up, and Ole was a very vol- funny but volatile person. I, I'm one of the few people who got along with him. And uh, he was saying that Junior's, you know, trying to put us all out of business. And he said, he's trying to put the freaking magazines out of business, too. <laughs> so Vince Sr. was saying, talk to my son, talk to Junior. And Vince, Vincent Kennedy Jr. offered me a job at that point. But I was very well taken care of by Stanley Weston, the publisher. And I said, call Les Thatcher. He puts out an NWA magazine that's really good. I think he'd be great to do this. So we were... We were Dumped out for years and years and years. So how would you cover WWF? I rarely went. Uh, a lot of the uh, wrestlers would call me at home and say, I'm going to be in Long Island. Uh, I can meet you at a hotel and I'll pose for you. Oh, so they would do that on their own time? And I'll say, aren't you going to get in trouble? They said, hell no, I'm a top guy. They're not, they're not going to mm. fire me for this. Gotcha. They need me. They need me. Because once again, the boys know that the more yeah. when publicity. I did Wow Magazine, when I was the editor, when I left PWI to go to Wow Magazine, Shane McMahon was in charge of the magazines and the social media back then. I was told everyone in that department 
went ballistic when I left PWI and went to there because Wow Magazine, before I got there, I didn't go there till the third issue, was paying people to pose for them on the cover. They they paid Sable like ten thousand dollars, which was or unheard of before to get paid. Yeah, to, to do yeah, and that was getting around. And I remember talking to Linda McMahon saying they've made me a. Uh, a great offer she said listen you're still family to us but if you go to them we can't help you at all so we were still kind of banned with wwf back then but enough where it's okay if bill comes in just don't bring a camera and don't bring a recorder but there were people paranoid in that office that thought if i was backstage which is why you didn't see me for years backstage that he's probably got a camera in his nose and if he pre- <laughs> yeah, if he yeah. presses he his blinks, nose he's a james bond right, gimmick right exactly, yeah exactly <laughs> and then one of the hottest things and the hardest things in the whole world was one time stanley weston the boss called me in and again this is in the book is wrestling fixed i didn't know it was broken on sale shortly, Soon. or it depends <laughs> if you're listening to this in 2017. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but one of the worst times, and this was horrible, Stanley Weston, the publisher, calls me and opens up a package from Theo Errett, our Los Angeles photographer, and says, look at this. And it's bikini-clad hot babes wrestling in an apartment. We're going to call this apartment wrestling. We're going to make a fortune out of this. This is how he spoke. Stanley? Yeah. yeah. And I don't care what the promoters say. So I typically I brought magazines to the arenas. But guys like Chief J. Strongbow would ask me, Bill, you know, any cover that I'm on. So we put them on a cover, and I'd bring the magazine, and I'd say, here, don't show this. They, so all the boys would be, oh, man, after shooting porn. I said, I never shot any of this <laughs> stuff. And Vince Sr. and Willie Gilsenberg, the, the other promoter in New York, they went crazy. I, this is porn. And I said, you have to talk to Mr. Weston about it. Make, I, they can't boss us around. And that lasted a long time. Eventually, apartment wrestling stopped selling. It died. Theo Errett died. I'm glad that apartment wrestling's dead, <laughs> but I'm sorry that Theo died. <laughs> Dan Shockett became his alter ego was Dave Maul. Which was the promo- he was the promoter of apartment, apartment wrestling. wrestling, and this is where you would just have because now they have a thing where people can write the scripts for the girls' matches, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Put, put her in a headlock now, bite her toe. But this was just a couple chicks in an apartment, kind of wrestling around in bikinis. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't think they were wrestling around. I think oh. they were posed. Oh, okay. I only shot it once. Randy Gordon, who became the head of the State Athletic Commission in New York, and he was a, one of our boxing editors. He did a wrestling column, and one time he had two girl. Girls that wanted to be models and apartment wrestling, so I shot it. And it was like, it's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it was like the Playboy photographers. Well, it's not the same thing. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But that was bad. What else uh, are you writing about in your book? Like, is it a kind of a chronological experience of your time in the business? It's or not it just, chronological. It's just vignettes and stories and Yes, anecdotes? because I read in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I like to go. I'm a chapter jumper. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, one of the, uh, the other. a couple stories that you can kind of tell. Yeah, but they, they, one of the horrible stories, the, the worst one in there is the Benoit tragedies. So f- from, from just explaining it from your end or yeah. explaining it? So, so tell me about I have my own there. theory, which is not in the book because the publisher thought it was too intense to well, what, what, spell it tell, out tell in the us, book. About, about two weeks before whatever allegedly, allegedly happened, happened, uh, I was on AOL and Nancy's ding 
instant message because you mentioned nancy up. once before were you friends with nancy oh i loved it to death yeah. yes i i mean re, re, bad choice of words but i i mm-hmm. she i knew her when kevin sullivan was first breaking her in and she'd always see me go oh it's mr bill from saturday night live <laughs> so oh, no. her yeah, yeah so her instant message pops up because nancy had a great personality she's she very great. funny she was great yeah. her instant message pops up and i said i said it's me mr bill i answered first so it says it's chris and Daniel is sitting on my lap. So we talked a little, and they said, how come you're not working for us in the WWE? Do you want me to talk to somebody? I said, I'm good where I am. I'm, I'm like, I'm really fine. I, I, you know, I, I'm very loyal to whoever I work for. So that was the last time I had heard from him. I remember seeing him on the road um, with uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero. And he'd always sit in the corner uh, read a book and ask me to tell him some bad jokes, Chris. Okay, I always liked him. He was just a quiet, nice guy. When I heard what happened, um, news trucks from Philadelphia came to my house, and people thought that I killed my wife or something. They, people in my neighborhood don't know what I do. Right. A lot of them don't. So, and then I was on MSNBC, and I gave my theory of what I think happened, and Dr. Martin. Ab- Abend, who was one of their crime reporters, said, I never heard that, and maybe you're right, okay? So I'm going to tell you what's not in the book, what I think may have happened, and I may be totally wrong, and people are going to go, this is ridiculous. How could you even think of this? I think somehow Chris got in some sort of trouble. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was after or whatever, but I think something happened. I think when he got home, Nancy and his son were already dead. And I, I understand that husbands and wives kill each other sometimes. They do. But not the boy. Mm-hmm. This is what didn't make sense to me. To me, if a hit, a murder, is done in a professional way, they can make it look like you did it and you committed suicide as well. To this day, the Chris Benoit I know couldn't have done that at all to me they were dead he got in some sort of trouble they were murdered and when he got home he was murdered and they set it up to make it look like he committed suicide oh only again because i knew they had a volatile relationship he and nancy there were a lot of issues and all that but because of daniel the boy and how enamored he was with daniel i still today can't fathom that he could do this Mm mm-hmm well, and it's definitely the mystery of all ages. You yeah, know, something that we'll never. Maybe know. I'm right. Well, it, it's 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 as plausible as what the official explanation is, which is not there isn't one, and there isn't one. It's yeah. been very kind of yeah. shady and dropped yeah. and all that sort of thing. And what but, do you think? I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to kind of. I would say if if I'm talking rationally, I would say concussions. I would say the same thing that happened with Junior Seo and all these type of guys yeah, where yeah. they're having the yeah. talking with um, Chris Nowinski about the, how the brain hardens sure, and gives sure. you dementia and makes you hear voices and, and basically I've thought of that drives too. you insane. You know? I've thought of that too, but I just it's the it's the it's Daniel the son that makes no well, sense. Well, and, I, I, and no, nothing makes sense about it. Yeah. You know, so it could be concussions, it could be rage, it could be demonic possession. For all I know, Maybe. there's no real, real. Uh, closure on that you know what I mean so like you said it's, it's, it's one of those things that I don't think we'll ever know and it's cool that you talked about it in the book it is you know, but again that theory is not 
Yeah, it's not in there. there, but I mean, yeah. So, but I mean, then that, you've seen the tragedies, you've seen the good stuff, the funny stuff. Tell, tell us some more. I mean, you've seen all these guys. I mean, we went out in in Vegas. Uh, years and years ago. I'm yes. sure. Did you ever go out with the guys? With F and Barry. F and Barry. Did you yes. ever go out with Flair at all? Or did you go out with any? Like, did you ever get kind of dragged along? I was the, on the, an airplane when Flair mooned everybody one time. He opened up his robe. We were going Jim Crockett promotions, and uh, uh, he had nothing on underneath. Is this a commercial? Yeah, flight? yeah, yeah. He would yeah. travel yeah. in his robe, or yes. he would go to the bathroom. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes he traveled in his robe. Depends <laughs> what time it was. Uh, one night. Uh, a lot of the guys know that when I was a kid, uh, I might have been the first backyard wrestler. Hmm. I, I grew up in Maspeth, Queens, and there was an air in, in, a, in an apartment building. We lived on the f- apartment 5G, Billy's place. And we had grass down around the building with a chain link fence, and that was, rest- that was a wrestling ring. Hmm. And I used to challenge people that I'll give you 25 cents if you can break out of my Buddy Rogers figure four leg lock. <laughs> And uh, nobody was able to do it. And uh, so I always wanted to be one of those. I wanted to be a wrestler since I was growing up. My parents would go do something else in the business because it's not a job for a nice Jewish kid. (laughs) So um, uh, eventually my father had to pay pay a fine in the building to the uh, maintenance crew of $100 because from all the wrestling there, there was a bald spot made on the, the grass. Made on the grass, but that became my signature, my bald <laughs> spot. Bald spot yeah. So it really did. But did I'm getting to that because comb over? right, exactly <laughs> a grass comb over. I'll never let that go. By the way, the comb over. It's your gimmick. Yes, it'll always be yeah. there. So um, to fast forward, this chapter is about guys that invited me in the ring. And one time I was in San Antonio. Shawn Michaels had his school in San Antonio along with Jose Lothario. And somewhere while he was training Daniel Bryan and all that, he said, uh, after, why don't you come in the ring? I said, fine. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I'll shoot you into the ropes. You come off. I'll hit you with a flying drop kick, and I'll put you in my figure four in six seconds. He says, you're going to do a flying drop kick. I said, yeah. I'd done this a thousand million times on the grass. I beat everybody with it. <laughs> I held a Maspeth championship. <laughs> So I whip Sean into the ropes, drop kick, he goes down, put him in the figure four. I had something in my pocket. I don't remember what it was. So now after that's happening, I need to, um, I need to get a plane an hour afterwards. And I get on a plane. I'm sitting next to a very talkative old lady who can actually out-talk me, which shocked that's me. That's rare. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. And I start feeling pain on my left side. And I'm like, she says, are you having a heart attack? I said, I was just wrestling. I think I may have broken my ribs. She, you don't, you're a wrestler? <laughs> and she's like, everybody's like, oh, who is it? Who is? I got off the plane. Someone met me at the airport. One of my friends took me to a local hospital, and I had broken three ribs because I fell wrong. Wow. I fell wrong. And broke three ribs wrestling Shawn Michaels at his training school. <laughs> yeah. But see, now you know the pain. It's like people say, well, Aptor's never been in the ring. Ah, oh, oh, I digress. Yes, he I sure have. has. You know? There are guys who used me around the ring when I used to shoot, and I loved it. I loved being part of the show. When I was shooting pictures around the ring, let's say, of uh, Ricky Steamboat against Ernie Ladd, the Jim Crockett promotions, that put 10,000 people in the audience there, and Ricky Steamboat, at the beginning of the match, would come over, 
and shake my hand. I'd shake his hand all this. Ernie Ladd would come over to shake my hand, and I'd give him the flare gimmick. I'd go almost there and then pull my hand back, and the crowd went crazy, and Ernie Ladd went crazy. I used to love doing that stuff. Then there were wrestlers who, when I'd flash from the camera, they'd make like it hurts his eyes, and they'd, they'd say, tell the referee he can't shoot at ringside. So. Use that as part of the match. Yeah. With all the, all the matches, who were some of the greatest workers that you would see night in, night out, like just consistency of just being, being excellent? I've pissed off a lot of people by saying this. Mil Mascaris. Wow. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you. Everybody said he never let the other guy. He never. It was never fifty-fifty in the yeah. matches. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you. Well, you know, experience. this is this is what That's I like me. to do. That's for you. Right? This, uh, this is what I like to do. Uh, uh, Gary Hart always told me a classic story. Whenever Mill would buy gum, he'd come into the dressing room chewing the gum. He said, "The gum is for me, not for the boys." So <laughs> the the so reason stupid. when I was watching the shows in New York from the Olympic Auditorium, <laughs> yeah. scary imitation. Yeah, huh? it was good. And I love him. He got Hurricane Sandy when that hit in the Philadelphia area, and I had a tree come through my house. He called me. You okay? Mm. Yeah. So he's so his real name isn't Mil Mascaris, by the way. It's Mel Moskowitz. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Mel Moskowitz. Oh, yeah, Mel, a, Mel Moskowitz. He's, right. a, he's, a, he's from the Bronx. Jewish Mexican. Right. right. <laughs> a Jewsican. Never mind. Anyway. Um, by the way, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I love Mexican people. Yes. So, okay. Just for the record. Yes, yes. So and you're I'm, saying how great. And I'm Jewish, so it's, even, it's okay. Even more it's all, right, strange. Right. So when I was growing up, I used to see him on the Olympic Auditorium shows, and he captured my fancy because he made it look so fluid. Anytime somebody, Black Gordon or Goliath, would put him in a hold, he was able to work his way out of it in a fluid manner, effortless. He made it look beautiful and the way it was supposed to look. And he captured my imagination. We had him on a lot of covers. And when he went with um, Eddie Einhorn from the White Sox and Pedro Martinez and went opposition to Vince McMahon Sr., Vince was crazy that we were putting him on the cover. But he looked good. He looked great. He took very good care of himself. He worked great. I wasn't... It didn't matter to me or the publisher that uh, and King Kong Mosca says the guy sucks because he's not he doesn't work with you. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It lo- he looked great. He worked great. He was drawing big crowds. So, so he was selling selling issues of your magazine. Yeah, he yes, really not my magazine, Stanley <laughs> Weston. <laughs> I'm sorry, wrong answer. Um, what about uh, as far as popularity goes? Is it when you're at? The, I mean, who had the biggest reaction? Well, like Dusty Rhodes was incredible. I'm so sorry we lost him. Yeah, I was at the funeral, and uh, I had seen him a year, a year before. Uh, they had me do a pilot show for the WWE Network, and he was one of my guests. And I'm so glad I got to see him again. Because people forget, you know, once again, you know, if you're not a child of the '70s or '80s. How popular Dusty was! Oh my like, God! Super, super, super popular. You know who else was so popular? And they say, well, it was just one territory, but in the magazines, it was about was Johnny Walker, Mister Wrestling Number Two. Hmm. If you went to Georgia, two was selling out every place. He was. He had uh, two, the Free Birds. I mean, that was such a red hot territory, and he was on top there. And when people talk about popularity, to hear. St- 17,000 fans at the Omni all screaming out, toe, toe, toe. It was, it was great. It was great. You, you also, you, before you became Y2J. Seriously, I mean, your popularity was well, huge. Well, I, I, I would think from, like, from that era, I remember being in the ring with, like, you know, Austin, 
or or rock. You yeah. know, even when Hogan came back in 2002, his reactions were ridiculously huge. Sure. You know, you could. I mean, Hogan in the 80s. Yeah. Popular, sure. As popular as Dusty, or or, or yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it depends where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Road Warriors. You talk about two guys who were trying to be the biggest MFers in the whole world, and so tough. Trying to be so mean, and they yeah. got pops from the that audience. They the audience turned them into the biggest the, baby faces. They were getting in the Road world. Warrior pops. Oh, which is man. the term in wrestling we use. Oh, yes. I got a Road Warrior pop, yeah. which means it's the biggest pop you can get. Yeah. You know, yeah, the Divas were getting Road Warrior moms, by the way. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> what about uh, as far as uh, heel heat? Well, we have to take it generation by generation. I mm-hmm. mean, when I was growing up, King Curtis, Bulldog Brower, Crazy Luke Graham, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, who I got, I never thought I'd photograph him. He was one of my heroes, and he made a comeback in 1979 in Florida. My father calls me and says, you'll never believe who it just, I said, got to be an imposter. And I get a call that I say, hello, Billy, this is Buddy Ryan. And I couldn't believe it was him. But it, it goes generation to generation. Talk uh, about was, when you were ringside uh, taking pictures in the 70s and 80s, maybe. Wow, God, it, 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 it's almost hard, so hard to remember some of the... Uh, uh, the I just heel- didn't know if like regionally, like you mentioned, like Hogan in certain places. It, was anyone, it was anyone who opposed Sting, Dusty, uh, Nikita Koloff. Uh, when he went against Maganam D.A. in the Best of Seven series, horribly hated anything to do with anti-American Ivan Koloff. Unbel- when he came to New York and worked against Bruno, wrestled, not worked against, wrestled mm-hmm. against Bruno Sammartino. You talk about babyface pops and a, Bruno... With no music. There was no theme music back then. Oh, they would just come out? 21,000 fans. The music was Bruno, Bruno. To this day, I can still hear that Hmm. resounding. Pedro Morales. And it wasn't just the Latin American community that was there. Anybody who headlined the garden. Superstar Billy Graham. You talk about someone that got incredible heat. And he was the first coming of what was going to be Hulk Hogan, uh, Austin Idol, all the guys of that. The Jesse look. Ventura. Yeah. It all started with superstar Steiner. Billy Graham. Scott yeah. 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 It all started with. I don't know if I put Scott Steiner in that same. I'm saying I think he took a lot of what he did from superstar Billy yeah, Graham. I yeah. I think there was definitely that, that element of it in there. Best know? time I ever had with superstar Billy Graham. And this started a promoter and a promotion that I wish I had never gotten involved in. Uh, I was shooting pictures of Billy Graham. We, we took a walk down Broadway in New York, and he had the, he had the WWF belt with him. And there was one point I saw, right in Times Square, a garbage can. I said, why don't you get up on the garbage can and pose? And he tore his shirt off, and he poses, and it made the cover of Inside Wrestling magazine. And hundreds of fans and the police going, get back. What are you doing? You know, so we didn't have a license to do this. And he was wrestling at the garden that night. And this guy comes over and he says, I'm going to be a wrestling promoter. I live in Queens. And they're fine. He says, uh, you got a wife or a girlfriend? I own a dress shop there. Can you get me some wrestlers? Little by little, by little I got him involved. It turned out to be, do you remember Herb Abrams? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he st- that's how this started. I brought Chief J. Strongbow <laughs> and Billy White Wolf to his store 
<laughs> and he, he he had a lot of money, and he started this wrestling promotion, and eventually he got on TV, yeah. as you know, with his UWF. He had a pay-per-view, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and then he went crazy, and he became mm-hmm. allegedly addicted to drugs and everything. And people said to me, you helped start that guy? I helped start Sony. I, I was in Grand Union Supermarket in Massapequa Park when I lived on Long Island, and I'd go maybe midnight, 1 a.m., all the time to do my shopping, okay? And there was this little Italian-looking guy happened to be there almost every time I was there. So one time, I just turned around. I said, can I help you? He says, you Bill Apta? Yeah, my name's Pete. It's Pete. Yeah, I wrestle. I'm looking to get into wrestling. It turned out to be Taz. I can tell he's you Bill Apta? Yeah, Bill Apta. (laughs) There are so many guys I help kickstart the careers of... Like that, I want to go on record because there's a rumor on a podcast that a lot of fans at Ring of Honor stopped me about. They said Hogan's going crazy, saying you got him the part in Rocky Three. He got that on his own merits. What happened was Stallone's office called the magazine office, and they were looking for a type to play Thunderlips in Rocky Three. They called me. I sent them pictures of superstar Billy Graham and this new guy named Hulk Hogan, and they said there was no internet or anything so we had a FedEx overnight so I get a call the next day saying can you send us more pictures of Hogan and have him call us and get in touch with us we may be interested in pursuing this at that point uh, I, for some reason I, they were part of the magazine ban was in there and I called Arnold Skoland who was one of the agents for Vince Senior and I called Hulk's mother and I said Stallone's trying to get a hold of him, etc. So uh, eventually, Skolan delivered the message. And all these years, Hogan thought not only it was a joke, but he thought that Skolan, Arnold Skolan, who I loved, he was one of my dearest friends, uh, tipped him off to that. So after the Rocky thing happened, um, I know Vince Sr. didn't want him to take the part. He was very well, I think it was uh, also um, Vern. Vern didn't. Yeah. They didn't want him involved in this. Yeah. And I was between the two federations at this time. And after it all happened, we put pictures of it on the cover. His mother sent um, sent us the pictures as a thank you note. And the office of PWI still probably has that. But it became around the internet that after says he got Hogan the part. I didn't. I helped kickstart. I sent pictures of Graham, too. Right. They wanted Hogan. They wanted to pursue that. So Hogan got it on his own merits. I didn't get him the part, but I helped get the ball you rolling. You facilitate it. Yeah. Sure. What did sure. you think, um, you know, from, from working so many years, how, how the old school territories were when Vince took over and then when WrestleMania was announced? Because it was such a big gamble. What was the, the mindset of the industry? Did you think it was going to be a success? Did you have any we were thrown out at that point. So our okay. mentality at the magazines was, we hope this bombs and <laughs> yeah. Jim Crockett promotions. See, Jim Crockett promotions pick up the ball because not only did Jim Crockett and Dusty Rhodes say to me, you know, you have freedom to do what you want. We're going to give you a segment on TBS every Sunday. It was Pro Wrestling Illustrated Scouting Reports. And Dusty said, he said, uh, Willie, you can talk. And I said, I've always wanted it. My first goal was not to get into the magazines. My goal was I wanted to do a wrestling talk show my whole life. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be not necessarily a commentator, but the backstage guy doing the interviews before you guys go out there. And I still do that for a lot of the indies. So 
we were like they, they, they didn't want any part of us so we were like we called it we thought it was wrestling mania so we, we got it wrong <laughs> wrestling <first>. mania <laughs> but I snuck into the first press conference where oh, really? we had Liberace and all these people I snuck in shot pictures and at that point I was in so they couldn't throw me out because there was a lot of press there and I kept saying what's Bill Apter doing who invited Bill Apter you know this type of murmuring thing. Yeah, yeah yeah and uh so yeah, we weren't for it because had they cooperated with us and kept us going and letting they when Hogan won the title from the Iron Sheik, we had a photo assistant up in the stand shooting pictures. He bought a camera. They were going to they ch- were checking him at the garden because he was coming in with this big bag, and they said, "What's that in the Saran wrap?" And he says, "Oh, it's my lunch. I'm on a special diet and I can't eat the food here." Guard lets him in. So that's how <laughs> so we got the pictures. cameras in. Yeah. Now, I never in. did it. Right. I never wanted to be embarrassed sure, sure. to where I'd be taken backstage and by Vince. I never did yeah. that. Okay. I always sent people. But you had the minions yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Willie. I know you do a lot of great imitations, but <laughs> I mean, Wonderful Willie is a, is, is a great one. You've had this guy for years. Well, Wonderful Willie is my uh, Jimmy Valiant, Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. When guys would come to the office... To have their picture taken, they'd have to wrestle me for the cow belt, championship office wrestling. And Jimmy Valiant did a promo one time. He says, Willie, wonderful Willie, you've been a thorn in my side. He said, wonderful Willie, wow. That, and eventually, Reggie Parks made me a belt to replace the cardboard belt, wonderful Willie, the cow championship. Give us a little wonderful Willie. Well, wonderful Willie sounds like Dusty Rhodes. Diamond Dallas Page, you may come in here to be the little wonderful Willie, but wonderful Willie's styling and profiling and boogie woogieing. Yeah. Who else is your imitation of? I can imitate almost anybody in the business. Really? Yeah, I go back. I think uh, last time you and I got together, I, I gave you some uh, Grand Wizard of Wrestling. Grand Wizard was... Grand Wizard. Grand Wizard. It's been your pleasure to hear my dulcet, round, pear-shaped tones of the Grand Wizard. Bruno was one of my... Now, you have to ask me, Bruno, um, uh, ask me about Bobby Duncombe. If I hate Bobby Duncombe. Bruno, do you hate Bobby Duncombe? You know something? This Bobby Duncombe guy is very tough. But, you know, I don't hate Bobby Duncombe. I just hold a lot of animosity toward him. He always said that. He always said he didn't hate somebody. I just hold a lot of animosity. And Pedro Morales, of course, he used to get so passionate when he was, uh, when he was on an interview. Somebody would say, hey, you be Vince McMahon. And you say to me, uh, Pedro, I understand that uh, Stan Stasiak is looking. Yeah, yeah Pedro, uh, Stan Stasiak. No, do your do your Vince. Come oh, okay. On. Uh, Pedro, I understand that uh, Stan Stasiak is on your uh, on your case. He wants to take your title away with a uh, what a maneuver. Well, Vince, you know I'm a little nervous, but I am ready for any kind of action, babe. I don't care if I have to be picking up a chair. I am ready for him, babe. <laughs> yeah. The vessel too. Give me a little bit more of the Shawn Michaels. Shawn, uh, Diesel's coming after you to take your. Oh, title. I don't. I can't do a Shawn Michaels. You just Michaels. did a good one before. Like, could you do that, Bill? What are you talking? Oh no, about? no. He always talked like there was a comedian named Jackie Leonard. When he get together with Triple H, he always talked like Jackie Leonard. What are you, a little cocker? <laughs> that that was. Uh, throw me some more names because I do a lot. Uh, the superstar Billy Graham. He was almost like Dusty Rhodes. He, he, super, superstar Billy Graham just did. He had, it was almost like the, almost like the same voice. Okay, there. what about a, a Ric Flair? I never really did a good Ric Flair. He was at the list. How are you doing? Third? Well, he did that, and yeah. he'd go when you talk about Chris Jericho. 
You have to pronounce <laughs> yeah. everything. Could you do more uh, obscure ones, like a Ricky Steve? Well, the captain, Captain Lou Albano, brother. The captain's got it all. Ability, agility, guts, maneuverability, backward movement. Did, uh, he, was, he was great. And then you got Freddie Blassie, of course, you know. <laughs> I can't do ethnic jokes on so, here. So many great ones. That you and Buddy do. Rogers, Buddy Rogers, when I was a little kid, he'd get on TV and the broadcaster would say, uh, Buddy, tonight you're, uh, you have to be the broadcaster. Ask me about my match against Eduardo Carpentier. Buddy, uh, tell us about your match against uh, Eduardo Carpentier. Well, you know something, Eduardo Carpentier might have the body, but he doesn't have it up here like the nature boy pal. He always called everybody pal. Antonino Rocca was great because the broadcaster would ask him about uh, uh, about his opponent. He said, well, you know this guy, he talks a lot. He's a papagayo, you know, a parakeet. That's what, that's what Rocca <laughs> sounds said. Sounds like Scarface. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, exactly. did, what, what, what did Vince Sr. sound like? Do you, do you... Vince Sr. was just like this when I talked to him. He'd go, I'd call him, I'd say, uh, the best line he ever threw, they were changing the WWWF to the WWF, Worldwide Wrestling Federation, to the World Wrestling Federation. So he calls me, he says, we're going to take the uh, WWWF and make it the WWF. And I said, why? He says, because the whole world knows the world is wide. Hangs up. (laughs) That was it. That was it. There's so many other people I do, I don't have my list in front of me here. I do a lot of, uh, you know, I do a lot of celebrity Imitations. Of course, I tried with you on my after chat to do the Jerry Lewis memory test. Mm. You remember that? I, no, I forgot. I failed the memory test. Can we try this? Sure. Okay, there are 10 of these things, and you have to repeat them right after me. All right. And this has nothing to do. The first one is, don't forget, Bill Apter's book is wrestling fixed. I didn't know it was broken. Okay, so repeat each one of these, and let's see if you can get to number 10. All right? One hen. One hen. One hen, two ducks. One hen, two ducks. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four limerick oysters. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four limerick oysters. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four limerick oysters, five corpulent porpoises. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four porpoises. Limerick. limerick. Four limericks. Oysters. Oh, five oysters. Corpulent. Six corpulent dolphins. No, six corpulent <laughs> porpoises. You want to hear the whole thing? Yeah. This was an announcer's test that I heard Jerry Lewis do when I was a kid, and I audio taped it. And so the whole thing is one hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four limerick oysters, five corpulent porpoises, six pairs of Don Alverso's tweezers, 7,000 Macedonians in full battle array, eight brass monkeys from the ancient sacred secret crypts of Egypt, nine apathetic, sympathetic, diabetic old men on roller skates with a marked propensity towards procrastination and sloth, and ten lyrical, spherical, diabolical denizens of the deep who haul stall around the corner of the core of the quay of the quarry all at the same time. <laughs> On that note, on that note, two final questions. Uh, what's the what's the best match you've ever seen? If you had to pick one, it goes by generation again. Okay, well, from- Dory Funk Jr. against Jack Briscoe. Anything Ric Flair did with Ricky Steamboat. Um, Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage. Well, I mean, those were those were the yeah, more classic, and, yeah. and and a classic match that nobody will talk about. I'm bringing another guy up again. This was back in the old uh, Pedro Martinez territory. It was an outdoor match. It was pouring rain, and Bill Mascaris and Ivan Koloff mm. were wrestling, and it was poetry in motion. Mm, it really was. Yeah. But uh, 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 Bruno 
San Martino against uh, Ken Patera. And in recent years, you know, that, that what I want to bring up is people say you've been doing this almost 50 years. Why and how do you keep doing this? And I could cite great matches that I've seen in the past even five years. John Cena and Cicero. Mm. I mean, they're great matches. I, I love it. The reason is that if you don't change with this business, you get left behind. Absolutely. I never hated what this business has become so many people are like you must be so bitter because it's not pure wrestling anymore and again like i said at the beginning of your wonderful podcast is the window dressings changed it's still what they do in the ring is still the same thing it's still wrestling right and i changed with the product because i like what's going on today people say my god how could you compare it with the old school i don't it's a different product it's marketed differently so go with it i love it I love the people in it. I love mm-hmm. you guys are my family. Beside my my real family, family that yeah. I go, yeah, you and my dog. You people <laughs> are my family. I come, I come sometimes backstage to the WWE shows with no camera, no recorders or anything, just to be with the family, just to hang out. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you wrote a lot about the family. Is wrestling fixed? They didn't know it was broken. And you got to take us away with your classic patented Moon River. Rap. Well, I can rap any song. We don't have to do Moon River. I can. I want to hear any, Moon River. Any song. Well, Moon River. My best friend Paul Bigberry, six foot eight, three hundred eighty-five pounds, used to wrestle as a concrete cowboy. We entertain at senior homes, and during the week, by the way, beside OneWrestling.com, I help people with disabilities to find jobs for a wonderful nonprofit that I work for. So Paul and I entertain at senior homes, and sometimes I'll do a beautiful ballad like Moon River, wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style someday and the the old people love it but the nurses are like (laughs) so i put on a side baseball cap and i do yo moon river wider than a mile i'm crossing you in style someday you dream maker you freaking heartbreaker or a Barry Manilow. I, I love Barry Manilow. I'll do. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl with yellow feathers in her hair and a dress cut down in there at the Copacabana. Yeah, just word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for. And I want to tell you, uh, not because I'm on here. I want to tell you through the years that I've known you, you've always been one of my favorite people. I remember when your first book came out, you let me do interviews for an hour and a half with you. Not just, and I know, oh, well, it's great publicity. Sure, it was. But because we developed a, a, yeah, a friendship talking with during, you, likewise, yeah. likewise. Yeah. I'm Thank shy. You, I'm going to come out yeah, of my shell. Come out of your shell one of these days, man. Thanks to Bill Apter, his new book is Wrestling Fixed. I didn't know it was broken. You can pick that up as of October 13th on Amazon.com. He's got so many great stories, so many laughs. You're going to love this book. I know I do. I love Bill. I've known him for so many years. He's such a funny, charismatic, wacky guy, and his book uh, comes across the exact same way. And if you order yourself a copy of Bill's new book, please use the TIJ Amazon links to do it. You find them by going to podcastone.com. Click on the Support or Show Sponsors banner there at the top of the page. Then hit the talk is Jericho button all my Amazon links are right there all right down to the last couple American dates in the Y2J fall tour so strange October 2nd this Friday in Trenton October 3rd in New York City Madison Square Garden the 25th anniversary of my career to the day uh, versus Kevin Owens for the Intercontinental Championship it's going to be televised on the air on the WWE Network I'm bringing in some of my uh, old friends that I started out with Don Callis the natural Cyrus uh, whatever whatever name you want 
want to call him, the Jackal, he's going to be there. Lance Storm is going to be there. Dr. Luther, Lenny St. Clair is going to be there. Some of my best friends for the last 25 years are going to be hanging out at Madison Square Garden. I hope to see you guys there. It's a big show. Brock Lesnar versus uh, Big Show, Dudley's versus New Day, Jericho versus Owens, Rollins versus Cena in a steel cage. It's going to be one of the greatest shows uh, in Madison Square Garden history, and I'm very, very excited and honored to be a part of it. Also excited to go to Saudi Arabia for the first time. We're hitting Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, October 8th, 9th, and 10th. And then Mexico, 16th, Merida, 17th, Mexico City, 18th, Monterrey. So excited to regresa Mexico. And October 30th, back on the Fozzie Groove as we go out with the Kiss Navy on the Kiss Cruise. Sold out, man, all the way to Jamaica. Kiss and Fozzie, Steel Panther, Lita Ford, what more do you want? And then after that, the Cinderblock Party goes back to the UK, back to Europe with Nonpoint and Sumo Psycho in tow. That starts November 13th in Rotterdam. We're going to Vienna, Hamburg, Berlin, Cologne, France, Luxembourg. Then we're going back to the UK, uh, hitting London November 26th at the Islington Academy. You got to come check it out. Manchester, Southampton, Birmingham. Go check out FozzyRock.com for all the gigs, all of the shows, all the VIP info. Come and experience it. Come hang out with me. You get to meet me. What more do you want at the VIP experience with Fozzy? FozzyRock.com and thanks to you guys once again for being here for listening to this show twice a week I'm glad I'm able to bring it to you for free thanks to my great sponsors Casper Mattress use the promo code Jericho at Casper.com get 50 bucks off your mattress DraftKings use the promo code Y2J to play for free SeatGeek use the promo code ChrisJ get a $20 rebate off your first purchase DDP Yoga go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and JakeTheSnakeMovie.com to get a great deal on DDP Yoga and to find out where you can watch the great documentary The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Bill After. Thanks to ACDC for still being a great rock and roll band. Thanks to Jack Slade and Chris Slade for helping me uh, hook up uh, a great, great night and a great time. And speaking of which, or the great times continue on Friday when another crazy rocker is going to be here. Justin Hawkins from The Darkness. Such, 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 such a funny guy. It's a great show. Calling all the way from London, all the way from Switzerland, wherever the hell he was. I don't know. I do know that he was great. You're going to love it. We'll see you then. And a big, yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 